Welcome to Coffee with the College, a podcast brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives, Wisconsin Chapter. Our goal is for listeners to find this podcast as relaxing as coffee with friends and just as comfortable as our guests and observers banter about questions that are in all of our minds. I'm your host, Janet Schultz. I'm Chief Information Officer at a human services company called MyPath. Our observer today is David Lally, a professional healthcare recruiter and a member of the ACHE Wisconsin Board. Today, we're doing an ACHE member spotlight. In today's podcast, you'll learn about the career path of an established healthcare leader, discover some leadership insights, and hear how the FACHE credential impacted this person's professional journey. Our spotlight guest today is Chris Hasse. Chris is the Chief Administrative Officer of the Mayo Clinic Health System. Welcome, Chris. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. David, could you say hi, too, so everyone gets to know your voice? Hello, Janet. Nice to talk with you again. And hello, Chris. I look forward to our conversation and learning more about you and your career journey. So to get us started, Chris, can you tell us about your career path and how that culminated in your current role at Mayo Clinic Health System? Yeah, happy to. And I'll try not to bore the audience here, but um, my healthcare, I'm, I'm a Minnesota native, grew up in Mankato, Minnesota. I uh, went to school down in Kansas City, Rockhurst University, and had the privilege of working for a safety net hospital system down there, Truman Medical Centers, uh, and joined Mayo Clinic in 2011 by way of the Administrative Fellowship Program. Uh, I had never been to Jacksonville, Florida before that, so kind of took a leap of faith to take the assignment down there. And uh, following the fellowship, had opportunity to support several clinical practices and groups throughout. And then... Um, just a, an opportunity came back to move to the Midwest. My family still predominantly resides up here, my wife's family as well. And uh, so, yeah, so everything's kind of flown by pretty quickly. But uh, in my recurrent role as the chief administrative officer for the Mayo Clinic Health System, have the privilege of working with our four regions uh, in the health system. We have uh, 16 hospitals that span across um, Wisconsin and Minnesota and about 45 plus clinics as well, and 15,000 allied health staff and 1,100 physicians. And probably the most important thing is we, again, have the privilege of caring for over 600,000 unique patients annually, but absolutely loving the role. And it's been great to get back to the, to the Midwest. Well, welcome back to the Midwest, Chris. We're glad you're here. Um, so you've had quite a career path. Um, we're going to start out with what I hope will be an insightful but easy question. As you look back, uh, what do you consider to be your biggest career success? That's uh, uh, always an interesting question because you think about your success and, and everything. We all know this. Everything in healthcare is not done by one individual. Um, if I had to point to one for me, probably a, a biggest success would be uh, getting the fellowship uh, to join Mayo Clinic because it's given me the opportunity to meet so many amazing people, uh, mentors, physician leaders, nurses, et cetera. But if I had to pinpoint just a, a greatest success, um, I think we all have stories relative to this, but how our teams, I was at Mayo Clinic in Florida at the time, but how our teams handled the COVID pandemic. And specifically, I will say uh, around us in Florida, I was overseeing our uh, uh, partnering with Dr. Kassler, John Kassler at that time, 
And a lot of surgical practices really came to a screeching halt. And our practice in Florida, very large transplant programs, uh, very strong neurosurgery programs, several other specialties that are very advanced uh, and prominent in cancer services. And we have patients that we had to find a way to not shut down. Uh, certainly there were other elective things and things that we knew we could safely defer, but we had to figure out how to manage the, the pandemic before we had all the luxuries of some of the rapid testing and, and just where we're at today in handling COVID. And I'm proud to say how our teams were very strategic in our staffing schedules, changing the design of our operating uh, blocks, um, being very articulate with how we staffed our ORs and made sure that we were triaging patients that needed to go forward to not delay cancer regimens or to make sure that we weren't uh, delaying any type of care. And I will say our, our transplant teams were more busy than uh, usual because there were other groups that they just weren't traveling to go harvest organs and bring back. And our team was, was certainly on the road a fair amount. So one of the greatest successes, again, COVID, I think we're only really beginning to see the tip of how impactful it is when you start thinking about schools, healthcare, behavioral health, mental health, uh, remote work, but just very proud of how our team collectively and in partnership with our hospital leaders, our clinic leaders, just the whole team handled that pandemic so we could continue to deliver great patient care. It is sobering, isn't it? Would any of us have thought in the start of our professional career that on our resume, there would be this pandemic and, and um, how it put us to the test, but congratulations to you and your team. It really sounds like you truly kept the patients uh, at the center at the same time, thinking about the safety of your team. Yeah. Way to go, Chris. No, uh, it was a team, but it's, it's one of those things you look back, certainly in the moment, you never, you never, we, that, if there is a, a regret, we did not probably pause enough and give enough kudos to our team. I think everyone was just in the thick of it, but you reflect back. I mean, that's one you can't help, but just smile and be so proud to be a part of a team that, that handled that situation in that way. Well, then I'll ask you the flip side of that question, Chris. Can you describe a failure or two that you've experienced along the way and maybe what you learned from it? Yeah. So um, I'll even just piggyback off that last example quick, but I have a, another example I'll, sh I'll share too. But um, a failure, and that is we did have a fair amount of staff that when you look, looked around us in the, in the Southeast markets in Florida and even up in Georgia, there were other practices that did come to a complete halt, a uh, complete stop. And so I think uh, a failure we maybe had there was we still had some staff members that felt like we were proceeding with surgeries for the wrong motives. And I'll say the failure there is not articulating enough and probably not having enough sessions to really emphasize to our team all the way down to the entry level staff, EVS staff, um, and those who might not have been in some of those uh, boardrooms or just strategic decisions that we were making to really understand the why we are going to keep performing transplant surgeries or craniotomies or, you know, all the, all the cases that we did. And so that's just one example where you can have, you can have failures within your successes. And I actually think that's a, that's a good thing as a leader to recognize that. Um, I, I was a college basketball player. Uh, so I, I will, I'll throw out a John Wooden quote right now. I, I, I believe this, I have this hanging up, but success is never final and failure is never fatal. It's courage that counts. So to me, I think one, I'll just put this out there in healthcare. I don't think we do a good enough job 
celebrating failures. It just doesn't, even just saying it there, it kind of makes you shiver a little bit. You don't, you don't want to hear failure in healthcare. That's someone's life. That's someone's spouse, mother, father, neighbor, loved one, et cetera. Um, but th- there, there are failures that we do need to celebrate more. We can all learn collectively together. So I'll give you one that's more practice related. Um, we were going through our transition from Cerner onto Epic uh, at that time. And I think we had some pretty innovative access strategies and designs to how we were going to have our clinics and schedules flow. And we were kind of off to the races. A failure we had is, um, take it upon myself, we did not bring in our orders team. So again, you can design a schedule or a template to understand how best to get higher acuity cardiology patients to the right provider at the right time. But the scheduling mechanism is only one piece of that equation. And the order build is a whole nother level of complexity that you can't miss. And so by missing that step, there were delays in our build that did have uh, carried some incremental costs and some things that were associated with it. But uh, if I go back, um, I wouldn't say, let me redo that because from there, I would say that experience helped me avoid other failures and inadvertently missing larger stakeholder groups and other decisions that I was faced with later down the road in, in various leadership roles. Um, another failure that I'll, I'll put out there, and I think I still have it to this day, especially if you ask my wife, but balancing work with family. Um, there are definitely things, my wife and I, we have four beautiful children, uh, six-year-old, four-year-old, two-year-old, and a three-month-old. And there were things even through the, the pandemic, um, I absolutely love what I do. You don't view it as work, but uh, I know my family made sacrifices uh, and wouldn't complain to me because they know that the teams that I had the privilege of supporting, it's really important. Uh, but a failure is I've, I've missed out on some things uh, early on in my in my kids' lives and, and some moments with my wife as well. And so that's something that I'm always trying to get better at. So I'll tell you, and she could probably tell you I've had some of those failures even yet this week. And we'll probably have some of them this weekend when I'm attempting to put up Christmas lights or do some yard work. So those would be two that I would share. Well, thank you. I, I love both of the examples that you shared. And also being a father of four children, I can relate. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the work-life balance and, and especially how that was exasperated during the time of COVID. Um, and also your other example of never being able to communicate enough and cro- across the entire organization and just how important that is. So thank you for those examples. Chris, I was smiling as you were talking about the work-life balance um, piece because um, we have a plaque up in our home. You you shared your John Wooden quote. Um, we have a plaque up between our mirrors in our master bath, a daily reminder, right? Never get so busy making a living that you forget to make a life. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I got it in a little Northwoods uh uh, store in northern Wisconsin, and and I saw it on the wall, and I thought, hmm, I think I better buy that uh, because uh, so many in leadership positions um, have have the challenge that you just described. Yeah, and it's all for positive that, intention for 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 vital work. I think that that last point you said there too is is spot on. I think. Most people get into healthcare because it, it it's a calling, right? You want to help people, and mm-hmm. um, 
unfortunately, a lot of times it feels it's like our, our families that, you know, kind of get the, not the last of you, but they get the last part of kind of at the end of the day, because what our teams are doing and providing care, providing hope when there is no hope for patients, how do you not try to give that 110% of your energy? And then mm-hmm. you come home and it's like, you could go from a, a very difficult uh, meeting to my six-year-old doesn't know that difference. And the focus there is we're going to build this Lego set or we're going to do this puzzle and you, you got to be able to shake it. And so I hope as healthcare leaders, we have, we find more forms where we can talk about that. It's never easy to, and I know a lot of, a lot of people don't want to open up that personal discussion, but I think it's really important. And, and healthcare is not going to get easier going forward. I think we could spend a whole nother segment just talking about the countless challenges that lie ahead for healthcare. Um, but I do believe through the pandemic and other lessons learned, you you handle hard better. And, and that's something we got to keep doing, but we got to make sure that we're supporting one another. And I think that's one of the biggest values of ACHE and other groups is you have that chance to connect with peers across the industry and share some of those, those moments. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of uh, sharing moments, um, the, you described in your intro, Chris, um, kind of the roles that you had as you wound your way up to your current position at Mayo. And in that, you've had to juggle the needs of a lot of stakeholders. You told us you just joined us today from a town hall meeting, uh, which I'm sure was filled with stakeholders. So um, what has um, your journey taught you about communications? Communication is so important. And, and, and I... I know people say that it's emphasized, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's possible to overemphasize how important communication is, especially in healthcare. Um, our care teams probably know that better than anyone. We, we have rounds, we have safety huddles, you have tumor boards, you have selection. I mean, like we communicate. I think the challenge that we have in healthcare, the pace that healthcare is moving right now, unfortunately, it's becoming easier to get into that kind of, I don't want to call it like a speed trap, but just the, the pace of everything to miss a group. And, and a lot of it, most of the time, it absolutely is unintentional. But when you think about just how many teams are involved in delivering the best patient care, you really got to have the discipline to make sure you're pulling in all the groups. Um, you know, you think about, take something complex. You think about cardiac surgery, for example it's not just the cardiac surgeon. You have physician assistant, you have surgical techs, you have nurses, you have the ICU staff that will be receiving the patient afterwards. You have the perfusionist, you have the pre-op staff, you have the cardiologist that was typically involved in something before. I mean, you look at the, the, the nursing leadership, the EBS staff that's cleaning the room, the instrument processing staff that's preparing the surgeon. I mean, there are, there are countless groups almost. And so when you're making bigger practice changes, uh, you really, as a leader, got to make sure, and you got to have some humility. Always be asking your groups, who are we missing? Who have we not communicated with? Or who maybe we thought we gave the message to? And I, I'm guilty of this too. You say, well, we, we sent that group an email. An email might not be the best mode of communication for certain groups. So part of for me, what I would say that I've learned along the way in communication is it's on you as a leader to understand your audience and how to effectively get a message across and received and then returned back to you. And that might not be email, might not be a phone call, might not be Zoom. It might be that face-to-face conversation that 
going to meet uh meet your um your evening EBS crew when they do like their evening huddle to talk about other things. Like you gotta understand the best way to communicate, but it's so important. Can't underscore that enough. On behalf of Coffee with the College, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks to our premier sponsors, Epstein UN Architects, HGA, Hush Blackwell. And thank you as well to our preferred sponsors, C.G. Schmidt, Findorf, Paul Render, Nutanix, Plunkett Research Architects, and Quarles and Brady. So, David, isn't uh, the current book club for ACHE Wisconsin, Simon Sinek, Start With Why? Yes, I think they are. That gets to the core of, I think, what Chris is talking about in terms of not only knowing your stakeholders, but those different stakeholders have different whys, too, in terms of, but starting with why is core to aligning around that understanding for that cardiac surgery, um, that the processing staff is as important as the cardiac surgeon to have a good outcome. Yeah, I agree. And I love how you talked about how many people it takes um, on that team and how everybody has their their part to play and just how important that is. So that's great. Um, Chris, I know that you are an ACHE fellow. So what led you to becoming a fellow and what benefits do you feel earning that credential has brought you during your career? Yeah, so I've, I've been really lucky and blessed that mentors early on in my career were deeply involved in ACHE. And so to me, at, at a young age, it was almost just, that's the way it's supposed to be. You, 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 you participate in the ACHE events, you show up to the forums, you participate in the uh, activities. Um, so to me, it's just been something I've, I've always done. I've always appreciated a forum to connect with other healthcare leaders. Uh, while it's, it's um, we might compete in certain markets, we might uh, want to, I don't want to say one up one another, but there's always a little bit of a competitive component when you're looking in your area. And I think what's refreshing about ACHE is some of that kind of diffuses down a little bit. And there's truly a sharing of best practices and how we just collectively get better as a healthcare industry. And that's, I would say that's not always uh, the case across many other industries in, in our country and around the world. And so the fact that there is a higher responsibility when you become a healthcare leader, not just to your organization or uh, uh, the site you support, that you're trying to just better healthcare in general. I think ACHE is a great conduit to connect leaders and to allow the sharing of best practices and ideas uh, so that people don't feel like they're having to reinvent the wheel and, and be alone in some of this uh, regard. So that's a, that's a big part of what I feel some of the benefit is. And so the, the fellow status to me was just continuing and building on all those kind of reasons why to be involved in ACHE. Uh, the body of knowledge, the, the commitment to the profession, the wanting to always get better for your teams to me, earning that fellow designation was a part of that continuous learning. Um, and I think it's important. I think it also reflects uh, to others how serious you are about the healthcare career uh, and what you represent and that how you lead follows, again, a, a, a standard, a, a creed, so to speak, if you will. And that's, uh, so that's part of it. 
Yeah, thank you. And I'm you brought up a lot of good reasons why you'd want to get involved in ACHE. I'm glad you started with talking about mentors. Uh, mentorship is actually a focus of our ACHE Wisconsin chapter. So I'm glad that you started with that and just how important it is to have mentors that encourage you along the way. Chris, um, one of the questions uh, that I know a lot of mid-careers are anxious for us to address in these podcasts when we do these member spotlights is um, what tips can you give to prepare for the fellow exam? Um, oh. Because uh, it's a thing and people want to know how to approach that thing. It, it is. So uh, best advice, uh, don't be shy to leverage the resources that are offered through your chapter or at ACHE at the national level. Um, I had, uh, the chapter that I was a part of when I sat for my exam, uh, at North Florida had resources, had some of the, the books about, you know, board governance and things like that. Cause in my role at that time, I wasn't heavily involved in, in board. So it was a little bit more of a, a for, I won't say foreign concept to me, but it wasn't something I lived every day. It wasn't natural at that stage. Um, other things within HR and different groups. So, so leverage the the tools and the resources that are within your chapter or your local program council or at the national level um I, I would i would recommend not going into it cold turkey thinking i've been a healthcare executive for 20 years i got this how hard can it be um that being said there's some very smart people out there so maybe they could do it i just i wouldn't recommend that i would take the time to do a little bit of preparation and study that's why we asked the question chris so thank you <laughs> Uh, for I that play into that. <laughs> uh -huh. um, you know, we noticed um, in in looking at your bio that in addition to having the ACHE fellowship, you also have um, the American College of Medical Practice Executives certification. Um, so can you describe that a little bit and what caused you to become kind of dual boarded, so to speak? Yeah, it's it's not too much of a, a different message from the ACHE one. Um, got involved in MGMA a little bit later on in my career, but part of it was I, I realized um, there's other aspects of the healthcare industry that I just didn't have a lot of insight to. I'd say some of the MGMA, without not trying to label it, there are definitely more education um, webinars and groups that were certainly more tailored to private practices, uh, just different types of organizations that I didn't have a lot of knowledge of. So I was curious. That's really what drove me to be involved with it. And then uh, again, that certification, I'm, you know, you, you want to show the commitment to the profession and continuous learning because that's, I think all leaders need to have that continuous learning mentality with truly the intent of being the best version of yourself for your teams. You owe that to your teams. Um, so for me, there was just, um, a different area of healthcare that I felt like I wasn't quite getting exposure to. And, and, you know, some of the webinars and things that MGMA does is uh, a little more like specific to like a telecom system or different things like that. And I just found some of those uh, things quite fascinating. So pursued it as well. So Chris, after all these sort of career focused questions, what do you do for fun outside of work? Well, so I, I kind of, showed my hand a little bit earlier on, but, uh, you know, having four kids, uh, very, very active, uh, 
in sports, outdoor activities, and a lot of things that revolve around them. So I'll share this little story here. My, my wife and I, we will probably go down as the worst parents uh, in the history of Florida because we did not take our kids to Disneyland while we were there. I think all of our family vacations from Jacksonville, Florida, we're heading up north to like the North Carolina area to do hiking around the mountains and the hills and things like that. And so uh, we live in La Crosse, Wisconsin now and, and just the bluffs and the river and the state parks. We absolutely love hiking and being outdoors. Uh, this will be a test for my kids. It will be their first true winter. They're still used to, you know, you catch a little heat wave in, in January, February in Jacksonville, you could still go to the beach and walk around. I, I don't suspect we'll be doing any lakeside walks uh, in January or February unless it's to get to a nice fishing spot. Um, so, uh, yeah, a lot of outdoor activity with the family, but just spending time with with my kids. And then going back to kind of that comment of work-life balance before, I, I've never been a huge fan of the term work-life balance. I think it's a better approach is that work-life integration. So there's different things that, you know, we do with, uh, with our church or with volunteering and, and getting our kids some exposure to that early on is something my wife and I both really believe in. Um, so just trying to do things with, with the family, um, like to travel around a little bit more. It's, it's harder with four little ones, but outdoor time is, is definitely top of the list there. Well, that's great. Thank you for those answers. What other advice would you give a mid-careerist? in their healthcare career? So if I could give some advice, a um, couple things I would say. I think um, don't be afraid to try something new. I think uh, when leaders get to that mid-careerist point, uh, there's a little bit of this um, self-imposed pressure that someone might put on, on his or herself, saying like, gosh, you know, I really thought I would be an XYZ title by this point in time in my career, or I really thought I was going to get to do more in, you know, a hospital setting space, or, you know, I really haven't gotten to do something within primary care. And so what I would say is make the most of the roles that you're in. Um, you're, you're learning, you're growing. There might be moments of frustration, but I would say, keep an open mind, uh, make the most of, of the opportunities that lie in front of you. I would say, the pace of change in healthcare is going to be changing almost every single dynamic that we have. Uh, hospital care is, is today is not where it was five years ago. And I can promise you in the next five years from now, it'll continue to look different. One example I could just give you that we have uh, in the Mayo Clinic health system is at our Eau Claire campus, we have our advanced care at home program, which is bringing the hospital setting into the patient's home. And the fact that we're able to deliver the same level of care and actually even with better patient satisfaction scores, because who wouldn't be happier if you were able to be in your living room, in your home, certainly during times of COVID where hospitals had to limit visitors and times of visiting. So there's all these other added benefits and changes coming in healthcare. So I would say, make the most of the opportunities in front of you. Um, again, don't be afraid to try something different. So if you've been wanting to do something in your career, uh, it's always easier to kind of make uh, a change now. I would say it's not going to get easier to make a change later on. Those would probably be the two things I would uh, emphasize. Maybe a last one. Even if someone getting to a mid-career point, you've clearly already established that a wealth of knowledge. Never lose that curiosity and never lose a desire to constantly be learning. 
healthcare is changing at such a rate. As I said, I feel like I'm a broken record by saying that, but just movements in the payer industry, government relations going on, public policy. Um, there's so much happening. And so you got to have that commitment to continuously learning. So those would maybe be some advice I would share. Well, thank you. That's very good advice. Um, I love the advice to never be afraid to try something new and to keep learning and to keep your curiosity. That's great. Thank you. So, Chris, on behalf of our listeners and David and I really want to thank you for taking time for us today. I'm going to wrap up um, pulling some themes from what you talked about. Believe it or not, there are themes in what you said. It was uh, really um, a wonderful conversation. Um, so here are a few of the themes I pulled out. The first theme that ran throughout everything Chris said, and it was really gratifying to listen to, was the theme of team. Um, you know, he talked about the results of the team in terms of handling the COVID uh, pandemic, but he also touched on the importance of team when we were talking about um, stakeholders and the many stakeholders it takes to pull off anything in healthcare. And from that team theme um, came a reminder that it is a leadership duty to know your audience. And that is a reminder that I think um, all of us can um, kind of put as a poster on the wall as well, because we'll get better results from the team when we remember that. Um, Chris, thank you for reminding us to never lose curiosity and continuous learning. Um, if any of you ever have a chance, um, Chris is um, not just saying it, he walks the talk. When you look at his resume, he has been a continuous learner, and that comes through in, um, in the results he's producing. And then finally, uh, final theme, I love your phrase, Chris, of work-life integration, um, not making it... Um, the work we do, a competition with the rest of our life, but rather um, the definition of what we want our life to be during the brief time we all have um, in this world. So um, thank you so much, Chris. Any any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, Jen, that was a great summary. I'm going to ask you to come to all my meetings. Uh, if I could get that type of a summary after every conversation, that'd be terrific. But I you know, really just appreciate the time with, with you and David today and the chance to have a conversation. And again, look forward to uh, being around at a lot more of the uh, ACHE Wisconsin chapter events and local sessions too. But thank you so much for inviting me uh, this afternoon. All right. Thanks, Chris. And thank you to our Coffee with the College listeners. We hope you'll tune in again next time. This podcast is copyrighted material of the American College of Healthcare Executives, Wisconsin Chapter 2023.